Welcome to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. To learn more about Collective, you can follow us on social media at My Collective Church or head to www.mycollective.church. Now here's Sunday's message. A little over two years ago, I brought my staff and their spouses uh, to Florida for a church planters conference called Exponential. Uh, I was actually teaching a class on building teams, and I thought it would be a fun way for them to experience that while also learning from some of the best Christian leaders in the nation when it comes to church planting and making impact on our cities. And as we were planning the trip, one of them asked if we could go to Disney for the day. So of course, I said no because it's a work trip. Why would we go to Disney? But on the first full day we were in Florida, we went to Epcot because eventually they wore me down. And we arrived around 10 a.m. and we started by riding on this uh, Finding Nemo ride. And then we followed that up where we did this thing where we like flew around the world. And then we finished up on that weird ride at Epcot where they talk about the future, but clearly it's very out of date. And after spending a few hours there, I'm not even gonna lie, Ray and I peaced out because I am not a Disney person. And you can judge me for that. I know there are a lot of Disney people in this church, and I'm probably in the minority, and that's okay. But here's the problem. Even though I am not a Disney person, my kids do not care. They are, they, it's bad. They're obsessed with Disney movies. I've easily seen Moana 50 times. I've seen Frozen 1 and 2 at least 100 times. Right now, we watch Mulan multiple times a week. We've even watched The Good Dinosaur multiple times, which is easily the most traumatizing Disney movie of all time. And when I'm driving with the girls, it's Disney songs, Halloween, Disney characters, dress up, princesses. Elise even has a Disney guess who that she didn't buy. My sister made it for her. So Disney has infiltrated my life. A few months ago, while I was scrolling through Disney+, Plus, I convinced my girls that it would be a good idea to watch a new movie instead of Cars 3 for the 30th time. And I clicked on the movie Onward. Have, y'all, have any of you seen this movie? Um, I'm not going to lie, like as a non-Disney person, this is a good movie. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil too much of it. It's been out for like two years, so you're, you're way behind. Um, but at the end of this movie, there's this incredible moment where Chris Pratt's character, Barley, gets a second chance. And that's all I'm going to say. You should watch it. And the first time I watched it, I cried so freaking much. Right? It hit me right in the feels. And then I made our family watch the movie again so Ray could watch it with, with us. And then I cried again. And it got me thinking. Right? This is why people love Disney movies. It's not the love stories. It's not really the songs. It's not the imagination. It's because every good Disney movie is about someone getting a second chance. And I think the reason why we connect is because we want that, right? We want second chances. Today, we're closing out our series called Home. And the goal of this series was to let you know that collective can be a place that you call home. It's a place where you can experience Jesus. It's a place where you can belong. It's a place where you can grow. It's a place where you can find grace. No matter where you are in your faith, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you are currently experiencing, And over the past five weeks, we've talked through our values as a church, the things that make collective, collective. We opened up the series by talking about the vibe that you feel when you walk in. It's not the music, it's not the tattoos, it's the value of you belong here. How we are real about our brokenness and real about what Jesus is doing in our lives. That it doesn't matter how broken or messy or sinful or anything you are, 
you belong here. And then we talked about our value of own your growth. Own your growth means that we use our time and talents and resources to become more like Jesus. That your faith is your responsibility. Not your parents, not your friends, not your pastors. And so Collective commits to creating opportunities for you to grow, but it's really on you to take next steps. In week three, we talked about how we say, come and see, and we invite people to experience what Jesus is doing in our lives. And come and see doesn't mean we have everything together or that we know all the answers. It's simply us saying, come and see what Jesus is doing in my life. Come and see what Jesus is doing in this church. In week four, we talked about our value of faith that's bold. And this means that we believe pursuing faith means being bold, taking risks, and watching God move. And it's not one risk one time a few years ago, but we continually take risks. Because the life we want to experience, and more importantly, the faith we want to experience is on the other side of risk. And in order for us to get there, we have to be bold. And then last week, we talked about how we are rooted in truth, that God's word is the truth, the Bible is truth, and it teaches us a better way to live. And so we want to be rooted so that we can withstand the storms of life. One of the things I challenged you last week was to read your Bible for seven straight days. And whether you were successful in that or you fell short of your goal, I just want to encourage you to keep reading. Right? Keep going. Keep the streak alive. Start a new streak today. And today, we're finishing up by talking about our value of endless second chances. And this means that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. What this simply means is that we're talking about grace. And to wrap up this series, uh, you probably saw a bunch of people on the team or people up on stage wearing these Endless Second Chances t-shirt. I wore one last week as a teaser. And so after church today, we have those for you. So we're going to hook you up, go to the parking lot to grab yours. Uh, you, your first shirt is free. We actually have a black version, shocking, we're collective. Uh, but we also did yellow and red because people wore me down and I eventually decided let's choose colors. Um, there's actually long sleeves uh, that you can buy for 10 bucks. And if you want more than one color, the second shirt is just 10 bucks as well. Now, just a heads up, not all colors have all sizes, right? Hashtag supply chain issues. Um, but you go grab your own. Also, if you're eventually, uh, for those people who are going to watch later or listen on podcast, uh, you should have been here. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> listen, nobody here cares. So, uh, But if we do have any left over, for those of you who aren't here, you can buy one next week for 10 bucks. But today is the only day you can snag one for free. And no, that's not mean. You should be here. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. And they began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation, other religions had different versions of gods appearing in human form. Resurrection, again, other religions had accounts of return from death. The, the debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room and he asked, what's the rumpus about? This is how you know it was a long time ago. He says, what's the rumpus about? His colleagues replied that they were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. After some discussion, his colleagues agreed. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu Doctrine of Karma, the Jewish Covenant, and the Muslim Code of Law, each of these offer a way to earn approval. But only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. That's grace. And when you read the biographies of Jesus known as the Gospels, here's what's interesting. The thing that makes Christianity different from all other religions is grace, but Jesus never actually uses the word grace. He doesn't, and it's kind of weird. The thing that Jesus is supposed to be known for, he never talks about. 
And here's why. Grace cannot be explained. It can only be experienced. Think, think about it like this. Have you ever fallen in love? Right? You can study love. You can uh, memorize romantic poetry. You can watch all the romantic comedy you want on Netflix. You can try to dissect romantic love as much as you want. But until you fall head over heels in love with the woman of your dreams, you have absolutely no idea what love really is. It cannot really be explained. It can only be experienced. So Jesus doesn't talk about grace. He shows it. Over and over again, the Bible is full of examples of Jesus showing unconditional love, of Jesus giving endless second chances, of Jesus offering grace to people. And one of the most famous stories of this is about a woman caught in adultery in the book of John. It starts in John 8, verse 1. This is what it says. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. If you pick up your Bible and you read it, if you read the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, you will see that things like this happen all the time. He walks into a new city or to a new location, and crowds show up. And this makes sense because Jesus was traveling around, he was preaching, and he was teaching, and rumors were spreading that he was healing people and doing a bunch of miracles. And so on this day, he's at the temple, which is the place where Jewish people worshiped, and a crowd gathers around him. So he begins to teach. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Right? So in the middle of him teaching, a group of religious leaders grab this woman and bring her right front and center. Now, I empathize with Jesus in this moment because as a communicator, there are times when I have to manage distractions or interruptions. So can we just talk about the elephant in the room for a second? Yes, I hear the loud bass sounds coming from our neighbors next door. Yes, they distract me. Yes, I often try to talk faster and louder so you don't hear them. Right now, those of you who sit on the right are like, what bass sounds? Just ignore us. You don't need to worry about this. But I'll tell you in full honesty, when we moved into this space, we knew that we were becoming neighbors with another church, and so we did everything we could to make sure there wouldn't be issues. We installed a soundproof wall, I shortened my sermons, which you all very much appreciate, and we changed our service times to work around theirs. And it's worked. Okay. But there are still Sundays when I know you are distracted by the noise. And so I do want you all to know that we are still working on it. We've been meeting with the church next door and our landlords for months. Uh, and about two weeks ago, there was a pretty big development. ICDD, our neighbors, are moving to the end of our block. And so in early 2022, we will no longer hear their music through our walls. And the reason I tell you this is because the staff and I do everything we can to eliminate disruptions so you all can have a distraction-free church experience. Right? This is why we want people to silence their cell phones when they come to the auditorium. This is why we strongly encourage parents to put their kids in Collective Kids instead of bringing them in here. Not only is Collective Kids a specially designed environment for children, but it's also, if a child is loud, 100 people instantly look that direction because something else is competing for their attention. Right? So we kind of understand what's happening to Jesus in this moment. And so Jesus is teaching, and I'm assuming it's very profound. I mean, I'm assuming it's life-changing. It's Jesus, so he's probably crushing it. And then in the middle of his teaching, these guys drag this woman up to the front of the crowd, and immediately attention shifts from him to these people. The icing on the cake is that one of the religious leaders straight up interrupts Jesus. He says, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, we don't know all the details of how this woman was caught in the act. In fact, for many years, scholars have wondered, where was the man who was involved? Right? Did he escape? Or a lot of people think maybe it was all a setup. Maybe by a vengeful husband or the group of religious leaders who caught her, they were actually trying to condemn Jesus. 
And we don't really know. What we do know are the facts that she messed up, she committed adultery, she sinned, and the religious leaders want Jesus to do something about it. And so they continue, the law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And they were technically right, even though at that time Moses' law wasn't really followed fully. But the law of Moses and, or the rules that you find in the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah said the punishment for adultery was that the man and woman were to be put to death by stoning. And so that's what they're trying to figure out with Jesus. That's, what they, that's why they asked Jesus that. But what they were trying to do is they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. And so this whole thing is a setup. The religious leaders don't actually care about the woman who is caught in the act of adultery. They're just trying to see how Jesus responds. Would he follow the law of Moses and suggest stoning, which was actually against Roman law, or would he let her go and break Moses' law? Right? They're trying to create this impossible scenario for him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, this is a really weird moment. Uh, one of the commentaries that I read actually suggested that Jesus was doodling, um, which I don't think is accurate, but would be pretty awesome. Uh, these uptight religious leaders are trying to have this very serious conversation with Jesus, and he's playing in the dirt like a kid who's bored playing t-ball. <laughs> serious question, though. I want you to think about this. Serious question. Because he is Jesus, if he was actually doodling, it would be great, right? Like, he's God, so he has to be a good artist. These are the things I think about when I'm writing sermons sometimes, okay? If Jesus drew one part of this picture, which part would it be, right? <laughs> Clearly the good part. He wouldn't be the second half of that. This is us. This is Jesus, okay? Okay, sorry, sorry. We can go back to the story. So Jesus is drawing a horse doodle on the ground, and the religious leaders are getting pissed, partly because he's just so good at doodling, but mainly because they're trying to trap him. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Right? You can stone her but only if you haven't sinned. And don't miss this. The only person in the crowd who could throw the first stone didn't. That was Jesus. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was without sin. If anyone had the right to punish this woman, it was him. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust, probably finishing up the tale. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And so the religious leaders have left, and now it's Jesus, this woman, and the whole crowd. And this is when they experience grace. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now I want to take a moment to break this down. Because one thing that I've noticed in the past four years of leading collective is that a lot of Christians know the word grace, but don't actually understand it. You see, justice is getting what we deserve. For this woman, justice would have been punishment for her sin because that's what she actually deserved. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And again, for this woman, mercy was when the accusers walked away. She deserved punishment, but didn't get it. But grace is getting something better than what we deserve. And for this woman, this is when Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. This is grace. The perfect savior of the world, letting this woman know that she's forgiven. It's not justice. It's not mercy. It's grace. So grace is not clean yourself up and then come to Jesus. Grace is not do the right thing 
and then you'll earn it. Grace is not three strikes and you're out. Grace is endless second chances. Grace is infinite. Grace means that your slate is wiped clean. Grace is a gift that costs everything for the giver and nothing for the recipient. Grace demands nothing from us. Grace comes free of charge for people who don't deserve it. There is no catch and there are no loopholes that disqualifies us. Grace is not contingent on what we have done for God, but what God has done for us. Grace is not about finishing first or last. It's about not counting. Grace means that there's nothing we can do to make God love us more and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. And grace is for everyone. Grace is for the spouse who holds a grudge, even though they promise to never do that. Grace is for the woman who got pregnant outside of marriage and for the guy who didn't want anything to do with it. Grace is for the student who spreads rumors in order to build their popularity. Grace is for the man who incited the the affair. Grace is for the hypocrite who claims Jesus publicly but privately lies in order to hurt other people. Grace is for the person who knows they screwed up but haven't found the humility to apologize yet. Grace is for the addict who is still addicted. Grace is for the selfish and the insecure. Grace is for the heart of heart. Grace is for the arrogant who thinks they don't need grace. And grace is for the legalist who doesn't like grace. Grace means that you can come to Jesus and find new life with no strings attached. Grace means that you can be made new, made clean, made perfect and forgiven, and you don't have to do anything. Julian Chavidian said that grace is so offensive that if you are not offended by it, you probably don't understand it. And we're talking about grace. The maddest people in the room tend to be Christians because here's what they think. You are letting them off the hook too easy. And here are their arguments, and I've heard these before. I or he or she is addicted to alcohol, drugs, porn, food, or likes on Instagram. I spend money I don't have. I seek out other people's approval. I have a bad temper, and I lash out at people who don't deserve it. I think hateful things. I'm a cheater. I'm a liar. I'm a horrible, bad, shameful person. I've done horrible, bad, and shameful things to myself, with other people, to other people. Don't I or don't they need to at least try to be a good person? Don't I or don't they need to at least change something about themselves and clean up their lives in order for God to start loving them? No, they don't, and neither do you. No matter how many times you mess up, you can still come back. And grace is obviously not a license to sin. Grace isn't about what can we get away with. Because if we have that attitude, it proves that we don't actually grasp grace or what God has in mind for us. But I just know what it feels like to be stuck in the same sin for decades and think that I've used up all my second chances, that I can't come back, that grace has run out, but it hasn't. John says this a little bit earlier in John 1, 16. He says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. We have received grace upon grace. This is why it's endless second chances. It's not just grace. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And part of our job as a church is to make sure everybody knows that the most important thing they can ever understand about Jesus is that he gives endless second chances because grace is Christianity's best gift to the world. This is what it says in Hebrews 12, 15. It says, looked after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Make sure everybody knows that endless second chances are real. Now, I love a lot of the things we do at Collective. I love the grocery store buyout that we do in August where church is us going to a grocery store and shopping to buy food for the community food banks. I love our quarterly partnerships where we support organizations that fight sex trafficking, create space for people to work on their mental health, love on teachers, and help kids in our city have a great Christmas. I love that we have small groups that meet in homes in this building and at breweries. 
I love that we create a safe space for kids and students to grow up in a church that they love. I love that we make a good name for Jesus. But the thing I love the most about this church is that we stand on the truth that endless second chances are real. This is why we follow Jesus. And why, while I love the things we do, we aren't the church because we feed the hungry and care for the lonely. We aren't the church because we worship and serve together. Author Philip Yancey once said, the world can do anything the church can do except one thing. It cannot show grace. And so the church's mission is to be a haven of grace in a world full of ungrace. This is why we challenge you guys to take next steps. This is why every single week a host will say, get baptized or join a team. This is why we challenge you to choose generosity and give financially, because we want everyone to know that endless second chances are real. This is why when we celebrate baptisms, this church goes nuts. So collective, hear me clearly. We will stop at nothing to let people know that endless second chances are real. We will not get too busy to let people know that endless second chances are real. We will not be too afraid to let people know that endless second chances are real. We will not be so focused on those who do know that we ignore those who are dying to know that endless second chances are real. We will do everything short of sin to let people know that endless second chances are real. And so I want you to know that no matter who you are or what you have done, you can have grace today if you want it. But Jesus is the only way that you can experience it. And I know that some people would say that this is actually closed-minded, but here's the reality. No one else is coming for us. No one else is dying for us. No one else is offering us grace. Jesus is the only one to do that. Jesus is the only way we can experience that. And if as a church we ever teach anything other than the truth that Jesus saves, you should grab your things and go and never come back because it's just not true. Now, Jesus won't force grace on you because then it wouldn't be grace. But Jesus' arms are always extended. You just have to choose it. You have to accept the grace that Jesus is offering. We say this every single week, but if you are ready for that, if you want to say yes to endless second chances, the most important thing you can do right now is check the baptism box in your digital connection card because that is the beginning of the conversation. And it would be our highest honor this week to give you a call and talk with you about it, what it looks like to let Jesus in. You know, one thing I've seen over the past few years is that sometimes Christians want to move on from endless second chances, right? For, for whatever reason, they think that grace is basic. Like it's intro to Christianity and they want some sort of master's level theology. A little over a year ago, I was sitting down with some people who were going to collective, but I could tell they had one foot out the door. And so I sat down with them and I just asked them what was going on. And at one point, the husband spoke up and said, it's just that you talk too much about grace. And my first reaction was to try to explain this church, right? We're a church for the rest of us. We were started for people who don't go to church or walked away from church or who have struggled to find a church that they connect with. And I talked a lot about how people who walk through the doors of the church aren't really sure if they follow Jesus or they're people who are struggling in their faith. But after spending a few minutes trying to cast a vision, I just stopped I said, I talk so much about grace because I need it. We need it. Because there are people who come to Collective every Sunday who feel beat down. People who have no faith or little faith or who have all the faith in the world, and they're just looking for a breath of fresh air. And that's what grace gives. And then I told this couple, if you don't want to hear about grace every Sunday, there are plenty of churches who will never talk about it. And they left. 
And my heart breaks for them because at some point in their life, it's going to get hard. Whether that's because they made decisions that make it hard or maybe something was done to them. But the thing they will need most is grace. And I'm not sure they will ever figure that out. God says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is all you need. No matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, no matter what you are going through, grace is all you need. And grace may not heal your husband, but grace will hold you up. Grace will not cure your cancer, but grace will carry you through. Grace may not rescue you from your circumstance, but grace can redeem your circumstance and work things together for good. Grace is greater than the diagnosis you've been given. Grace is greater than the abuse you've experienced. It's greater than the secrets you have kept. It's greater than the addiction you have battled. So no matter how far you've fallen or how much you've failed, grace is greater than that. God's grace is faithful. God's grace is true. And because of what Jesus has done, no matter how broken the pieces are, God's grace can make everything new. Grace is powerful enough to erase your guilt. Grace is big enough to cover your shame. Grace is real enough to heal your relationship. Grace is strong enough to hold you when you are weak. Grace is sweet enough to cure your bitter heart. Grace is satisfying enough to deal with your disappointments. Grace is beautiful enough to redeem your brokenness. And so you may have given up on grace, or you feel like grace is not a part of your life, but grace hasn't given up on you. And it is not a coincidence that you are sitting here today. That is God's grace in your life right now. He has chased you down. He will meet you where you're at, and he will help you back up because endless second chances are real. You see, the reason we started this church four years ago was to reach broken people, and we are unapologetic about that. We are a church for the lost, the beat down, the discouraged, the mentally unstable, the afraid, the divorced, the addicted, the insecure, the ones who have attained, attained empty success, the ones who have a past they aren't proud of, the ones who are living a life right now that they're not proud of, the ones whose marriage is hanging on by a thread, the ones who feel like their whole lives are hanging on by a thread, the ones who need grace. So we started this church for me and for you and for this community. So welcome home. Let's pray. God, I think we spend a lot of our life searching for answers. God, we spend a lot of our life searching for peace. God, we spend a lot of our life searching for something um, that will satisfy us, that, that ultimately will just get us through the next day. And God, as we've searched for those things and we've tried different things in our life, the one thing that we know that can get us up every morning is grace. This reality that you love us so much with this unconditional love and there's nothing we can do to make you love us more, and there's nothing you can do, nothing we can do to make you love us less. So God, I pray today that we, we feel your grace. God, for people who've been following you for a long time, that they don't think of grace as the thing that they experience when they first start following you, but the thing that they experience every single day. And God, for the people here who are struggling with their faith, who are struggling with you, God, we pray that they hear that you love them so much, no matter how broken and how lost they are. And God, you want to give them something better than they deserve. God, thank you for grace. Thank you for grace in our relationships. Thank you for grace in our marriages. Thank you for grace in our lives. God, I pray we live in this grace. And this is the thing that we bring to our community. God, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen.